Welcome uh, to uh, It's Not That Scary, a horror movie podcast. Um, it's a very special edition of It's Not That Scary. Um, we have a guest with us this week. Our guest is the author of Hidden Horror, a celebration of 101 underrated and overlo overlooked fright flicks, co-host of a podcast of his own, Kicking the Seat. And he also has a horror blog, Horror 101, with Dr. AC. Please welcome to the pod, AC. Hello, and thank you for having me. Yes, our pleasure. It's really exciting to finally have a guest on that is actually a professional as opposed to my friend or my mom. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for, for uh, joining us this evening. Um, Jaden mentioned that you have uh, written and edited a book uh, about 100 underrated overlooked fright flicks. Yep. We have a copy of said book, right? Yay! Amazing. Now, did you have that? Did you have that before? You no, know? no, unfortunately. Okay. So sorry. That would have been that would have been, you know, the, the cream. Yes, that um, would have been incredible. But I hope you enjoy the book. You know, so here's the cool thing. I was looking through it and I like to consider us, you know, well versed in horror movies, but of all 101 movies, I only recognize 99 of them. I mean, oh, sorry, oh. sorry, I only recognize two of them. I did not <laughs> recognize 99 of them. My God. I was like, we stumped him on two. Wow. This <laughs> and I actually want to talk to y'all. I think we should open the discussion on those movies that I recognized because they're yeah. important to okay. us on It's Not That Scary as well. Something that I thought was really interesting that you wrote in the A Word from the Doc, because you are a doctor. Um, <laughs> something that I really resonated with says on page 18, for the horror veteran, word of mouth is the driving rod of choice the method by which we select how to spend our next 90 minutes. It's not the critics picks or the box office tallies that get my juices flowing, but the, but rather the urging of a like-minded soul. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's the thing is, is that uh, even if it's, it, it could, there are movies in that book that I'm not necessarily a fan of, uh, but the author gave such a compelling case for, why it was why they loved it and why mm -hmm. it was exciting to them and what the movie you know what the book gives you is an opportunity to look at a movie through someone else's lens and be like oh you know what that didn't work for me but i see now why it worked for you mm -hmm. and when i go back and watch it i'm like okay i can see what you liked about it it still doesn't work for me there are a couple of them that i went back <laughs> and I'm like I'm like, oh, maybe I need to give this an and I'd be like, no, it's still terrible. I hate that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what uh, got me curious because there are times we're watching these movies, especially in the chronological quest that we're doing, where we'll look it up and we'll say that it is it is lauded by critics, yep. uh, it's famous, and we'll watch it and we'll really like try to look at it objectively and really not understand what what is <laughs> the big deal, right? Exactly. So I would like to pick out one of the movies. <laughs> that is on this list the werewolf of london wow. is on this list. one of our top hated on this <laughs> oh, good good yes, good actually was wondering how you felt about it right off the bat so i i, I am a fan of um werewolf of london uh and it may and I, per, I completely admit that it may be purely nostalgia because those universal classics were the ones that i grew up on watching on late night, Saturday night, uh, mm -hmm. Creature Features, you know, when I was a kid. And so like, you know, those were the movies we had. And so it was like, you know, it was exciting to see uh, a werewolf. 
uh, you know, how, how it's aged over the years, you know, that's certainly debatable. I also like the fact that it's kind of, it's a different spin on what we're used to. And so, um, you know, I think so coming, coming at it from a, a newer horror fan where you kind of know what the rules are as far as werewolfery, but most of that was, you know, conceived for 1941's The Wolfman. Mm -hmm. Like all of the kind of werewolf lore comes from 1941 and this precedes it and provides a completely different mythos. And yeah, I'm, I'm always in, I'm not even gonna, like things like Twilight, you know? <laughs> Like, I have to admit, I'm not a fan of the movies, but I love the fact that they took the vampire mythos and completely messed with it yeah. and got away with it. I'm like, that's kind <laughs> of amazing, you know, that the fact that you can dig into something that has such, you know, rooted, like, we know what the rules are, and then just decide, eh, they can be out in the sunlight, that's fine. And you're like, yeah. wait, what? That, that, <laughs> you can't do that, but... <laughs> but they sparkle in the sunlight. Yeah, that, that point about nostalgia is really interesting and something that I think we take into consideration a lot when we're talking about our favorite movies on this podcast. Um, I think growing up in the early 2000s, like the Saw horror era, sure. I've become really uh, attached to quote unquote bad horror movies <laughs> like the uh, Rob Zombie Halloween remake, The Last yeah. Halloween. On the left remake any kind of uh even like the the, the the wax museum the house of wax remake yeah Arizona. <laughs> and that's that's sort of what i grew up watching and totally from the same place i recognize that these movies are not maybe are not um critically acclaimed but that nostalgia factor for me is what keeps me yeah. coming back to that style that's right i mean what i think what got you into the pool is always going to be something that's near and dear to your heart. You know, for me, I I love like 50s sci-fi, um, you know, big bug movies and giant, you know, radioactive whatever. Like that's always going to be my sweet spot because that's what I that's what got me interested in the first place. You know, that like Ray Harryhausen, Godzilla, things like that that had, you know, like they have a certain terribleness about them. Uh, but I and I admit that as an adult, but when I watch them, I'm eight years old again and nobody can tell me different. Like this is the greatest movie in the world. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I think that's something that we also really enjoy is that a certain level of incompetence can often uh, translate to charm, which is oh, really yeah. fun. Yeah. Have you seen them? The movie about ants? I certainly have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. watched that one. My, I think we enjoyed it. My first, my first uh, book was Horror 101, and that one I kind of curated, similar to what you're doing, and I really, by the way, I'm, I'm so enamored of the, the format of your podcast. I love that you're going through the genre chronologically, because um, when I did Horror 101, it was because we live in an age now where there aren't horror hosts, and there isn't like Friday Night Frights, Mm -hmm. And so we have no one to kind of curate for us what we're supposed to be watching. We have so much access that I think it's easy to kind of miss out on your horror history. And you don't realize the context of, I mean, there's some people who didn't, who don't know that this movie is a remake of X, Y, and Z and yeah. that it's been remade before. I mean, uh, so that when I did Horror 101, it was the idea of, we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to take you all the way through. We're going to give you kind of like the basics 
uh, kind of like a, a you know the various touchstones through the years from the German classics to the universals to the 40s Val Luton stuff you know just kind of like walk you through and once that was done that's when I decided to do the opposite which was hidden horror was like let's do the things that the movies that you wish more people talked about yeah. and that you love and nobody seems to be like this should be on the you know the top 100 list it's like you know this is not this is not something that is uh a must see in most people's eyes but it's a must see for me yeah yeah definitely definitely i think something that i've learned a lot doing this podcast is um Previously, when I would think about horror history, I would jump straight back to the 1970s, 1980s, and really not think too much prior to that. So this has really taught me a lot about, um, like you said, the 1920s, like the German Expressionist films, how much of an influence that still has even today on some horror actors, and of course, like the Universal Monsters, and where all of those references come from. So it's been a really eye-opening journey into the world of horror, um, learning a lot about what we like and what we don't like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. it makes me even more excited too, because we are obviously still in 1961, haven't really gotten to the 70s or the 80s yet. And I'm excited to get there and see what they were actually referencing from the 1950s, 1940s, and recontextualize my relationship with those movies as well. Yeah. Have you, have you done uh, stuff on like the hammer films yet? I don't think so. No. So like the, like the 1957 and 1958 uh, hammer hammer studios in England did their versions of Dracula and Frankenstein and Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing were kind of like the two big horror icons of the day, but they were doing, you know, what universal had done, you know, uh, uh, 30 years earlier. 20 years mm -hmm. earlier. And so it's interesting to kind of compare and contrast those movements because it was the first time we'd had Dracula in color and there was a lot more like, you know, blood on screen because they could do more. Yeah. And, and it just was like, and it's funny to look at those because those movies are like perfectly charming now, but at the time they were like, oh my stars, you know, like so, so racy yeah. with these plunging necklines and blood, <laughs> you, know, you know. For sure. Yeah, we've often wondered that of just like how how racy these movies were for the time. Sure. Um, just because, as you said, like from our perspective, they seem very tame. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, you hear, you hear stories about like, you know, the original Frankenstein and Dracula and like people fainting in the aisles and running away. And you're just like, <laughs> you're like, really? <laughs> really? Oh, okay. You folks didn't get out much. <laughs> but I do... That, to flip side that is that like imagine being in a theater in 1933 and watching the original King Kong and just being like my head is exploding yeah. how did they even do that yeah you know I'm, I'm watching a you know what seems like a very realistic uh monster you know stampede around New York City for sure that's also something that we've also really enjoyed is the very few times where we watch something and we're like we don't know how they did that that's really cool that still holds up uh, the devil dolls come yes. to mind, the effects on that. That's really cool stuff. Well, I'm like the, the, the Jekyll and Hyde, you know, like, uh, like watching, uh, I think it's the, is it the Barrymore or the Frederick March one? But I think it's the Frederick March where you have like, uh, it's the, they do colored filters. And so they just yeah. shift yeah. and like suddenly has like the, the sunken lines in his face. And you're like, that's, 
amazing. Yeah. You know, and it's it's just a simple camera trick. For sure. Yeah. Um, and then if I may, JD may. I don't know what you're gonna do, but no, you it's may. all good. <laughs> it's your podcast, um, so go wild. The uh, the other movie I recognized on your list was a movie that we really loved. By contrast, is the Spiral Staircase from I think oh, yeah. 1946. I think that is 1946. Yeah, 1946. Thank you. Wow, very good. Um, yeah, we really loved that one. That one. That one. We we really loved even just as a movie, not even as an old movie to appreciate. Like still, yep. really just powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's incredibly suspenseful, and you know, like, and you do get you know a general a genuine sense of frisson. I <laughs> just be like, uh, I don't I don't know where this is going. Literally, I yeah. I, I, you know, so I'm I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah, it was, it, and that was the fun thing with Hidden Horror is that it, it ended up, uh, it, and purely by accident, it ended up spanning the entire history of horror. We have silent films all the way through to I think like the most recent one was like 2000. It's in the 2009 or 2010, somewhere in there. That's cool. Yeah. No, I mean, this book has been really cool. I've been looking through it. And something else I really like are all the screen grabs that you've got. Uh, <laughs> some of them are very chilling. <laughs> honestly. No, I mean, honestly. Well, and, and, and that's another kind of nod to my influences because growing up, uh, before the internet, you know, we had, all we had were reference books. Uh -huh. And you would be, you would watch, uh, you would watch, or rather, you'd read these 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 books, and there would be an image, and and that that image would stay with you. And then, you know, maybe like 10, 15, 20 years later, you would actually see the movie and be like, "Oh my God, it's that's the thing, that's the thing I saw," you know, 20 years ago. Um, and so I, that's what the idea with uh, John Pata and I, who who designed the book, was we wanted to have those kind of images that people would be like. It's not, it's not the classic image, but it's that hidden, kind of like that hidden uh, uh, gem, that little Easter egg that people are like, I know what that's from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We have that experience now with um, internet <laughs> like memes. So I, I think in the Body Snatchers remake, it, there's a really famous meme um, at the very end when the uh, yep, protagonist exactly. is like pointing, that's turned into exactly. uh, like, been taken out of context and has been turned into like a pretty popular meme so when we saw that moment in the movie like, we were oh. like oh okay because that's not typically what you think of when you think of that movie you're thinking of yeah, the, right. um, like practical effects not so much the last scene <laughs> yeah. yeah cool well shall we get into uh the innocence a little bit sure if you don't mind i just want to talk really quick about the scarathon oh yes please um, please so uh, every October for the past uh, decade or so, uh, I use October as my as a, a fundraiser for a notable cause. And the way I've done it in the past is that uh, people, it's in the spirit of like a readathon or a walkathon where people pledge a certain amount of money per movie that I watch. And uh, there were in in years past, I would I would get up into like you know the triple digits because I didn't have much of a life. Uh, <laughs> And so then people were like, I can't pay that much. So what I do is I do just like a classic 31 movies now and people pledge accordingly. Uh, this year to do a little spin on it, I'm doing 31 movies from 31 different countries. Oh. So that's going to be this year's kind of theme. And the reason we're doing that is because uh, the, the charity this year is Albany Park Theater Project. And they are a teen-based ensemble that is all about diversity. 
and cultural, uh, cultural storytelling. And so I thought that would be a nice way to kind of reflect what they're doing with what I'm doing. Uh, but if you go to the uh, Horror 101 with Dr. AC website, you'll find details about the Scarathon if you're interested in, in contributing and being part of uh, supporting all the Park Theater Project this year. That's the place to go. That's awesome. I saw a production by the Albany Park Theater Project and it was really awesome. It was exactly that, like really, it was about the experience of first generation immigrants in America. It was very powerful. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing what's being done, you know, by, by these young artists. It's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's an incredible thing. It's like, you just remember that, yeah, they, they, artists come in all shapes, sizes, and ages. For sure. Definitely. Cool. Cool. Well, um, and thanks for having an old geezer like me. Oh, <laughs> we're literally thrilled. We're so thrilled. Yeah, we're so yeah. happy to have um, yeah. someone who like knows what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go that far, but <laughs> um, so you're watching 31 movies from 31 different countries. Are what? there any that you are especially excited to see that maybe you haven't seen before? Oh, wow. Uh, I'm, I'm still kind of curating my list. Um, uh, both from my own um, library and uh, various, you know, streaming services like Shutter. Shutter is really great in terms of finding like horror uh, from the foreign markets and from film festivals. Um, back in uh, back in the like 2012 to 2015, I was doing a lot of uh, coverage of festival circuits for Horror Hound magazine. And so uh, there are a lot of those that are kind of already on my radar. Mm -hmm. So there's some of those that I wanted to revisit because it's been, you know, eight or nine years. And then there were ones that I've been hearing about that I just haven't gotten around to. And this gives me the perfect excuse to do so. Very awesome. Cool. Well, if you would like to take a recommendation, we recently just watched Ganjiam Haunted Asylum from oh, South Korea. I, yep. Yep. I like that very much. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Awesome. You've already seen it. We really enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, given the cultural phenomena that is Squid Games, I think K-horror and K-dramas are uh, going to be an enticing little feature for yeah. people. Agreed, agreed. I mean, um, I mean, South Korea is really just emerging as a, a powerhouse when it comes to genre yeah. filmmaking. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to uh, yeah, I, I kind of stumbled onto, um, I can't pronounce the, the name, but Haunted <laughs> Asylum. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I came across it earlier this year because we were doing a theme on um, on uh, insane asylums or madhouses or things like that. And so that that's how that came onto my radar. Uh, but I just watched um, my South Korean entry for the Scarathon was The Wailing. Oh, okay. 2016. And that is terrific. It's a, It's an it's kind of an epic, it's two and a half hours. Um, so, you know, be, be prepared to sit for a little while <laughs> and be prepared, prepared to bring some patience. But I feel like it, it's, a, it's a possession story unlike any I had seen before. And I was like, I was like who, who would think that you could provide something new on that, uh, that topic at this point? But it really did a nice job. Nice. Sure. Maybe that's what we'll do for our next US for it. Yeah, 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 yeah that sounds great. And train, um, to, train to Busan is another. Oh, yes, on. yes, of course. You know, the host. and I think they're making what a sequel to that now. No, they're making it, an American version. Uh, well, Peninsula, yeah, Peninsula has already been has already come out. That is the the South Korean 
sequel. But yeah, I think they are doing a gotcha. uh, a remake. Hmm. Uh, yeah, well, well, speaking of possession horror movies, it's a great yes. segue into The Innocents. Uh, as you mentioned, we're in the year 1961. Um, this is a movie based on the story, uh, The Turning of the Screw. Um, if um, we, we mentioned um, The Haunting of Bly Manor previously on this podcast, same story that 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 show also draws from the same story. Um, basically, uh, it's a, a story about a governess going to care for two children um, and sort of her finding out um, about the, the spooky things going on in this great manner and uh, maybe how the kids are being influenced by um, the spirits as well. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought that it um, really, uh, I, I, I think a lot of what a lot of the movies we've seen have gotten caught up in for me is just like there being too much going on. And I thought this was a, a great example of a really contained story, really just like three or four characters that you're following the whole time and um, seeing how they react um, to the, the, the horrifying elements. Um, but yeah, what, what did everybody else think? Yeah, I agree. I, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I think having seen Blind, Haunting of Bly Manor and resonating so much with that, it helped me understand what was happening a little bit better in this movie um, because I didn't need to fully focus as much on the plot necessarily. I could just explore the characters um, and compare them to how they were done in other forms. I also didn't realize until um, afterwards that the screenplay was written in part by Truman Capote, which I think speaks a lot to um, how well done it is. I also think, Jaden, what you mentioned about this story being more contained uh, partially could be because the screenplay was largely adapted by from and by uh, William Archibald. He wrote a play version of Turning of the Screw, mm. and the screenplay was largely adapted directly from that, which I think is also called The Innocence. And I, you can definitely feel that um, like the, more theatrical uh, element to it rather than cinematic. It's very character driven. But yeah, I really liked it. I think there is some question that it leaves you with some questions about are these ghosts real? Is it all in her head? I think the acting is spectacular. The child actors are great. Uh, the boy who plays Miles is so eerie. Yeah, and the last, the last shot. Spoilers, whoa. <laughs> well, I'm not going to get into it. I'm just saying yes. the last shot is very chilling. <laughs> yeah, sure. I think for me, the, the biggest thing that I noticed about this movie is I'm starting to recognize horror tropes. Uh, that I think weren't present in a lot of earlier uh, movies. Um, even really specific things. So for example, this is the first movie we've seen where somebody says, oh, don't worry, it was probably just the wind. Uh, <laughs> things like that, you know, like, or the main character walking around a dark hallway with a candle, candelabra, you know. Uh, it really felt like a horror movie, like uh, a horror movie proper, which I think is something we haven't really gotten to experience much. Nice. Yeah, I, 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 I absolutely agree, uh, Margo, with the idea that like it, it does feel like a, an opened up stage play. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yet there's, unlike a stage play, there's not a ton of dialogue. There's a lot of silence. There's a lot of uh, just uh, visuals. Uh, and I think like that's, that's one of the, 
the film's strengths is just how how extraordinarily visual it is. Uh, the cinematographer Freddie Francis, uh, he's done he's done just remarkable work both as a cinematographer and as a director. And like the apparently like when they were shooting this film, the lights were so bright because they wanted that kind of sheen that the actors were just like melting, you know, because they had just every light they could have to make everything. And I think that's kind of exciting in that how, you know, like this is sunlit, sunlit horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like some of the most eerie uh, yes. moments are in broad daylight, you know, yeah. like the, the moment of the, the drop of water on the, on the, uh, the page, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like, there's just, there's so many like, there's just, I, yes, spoilers, but there's a moment where we see what we think is a ghost, right? And we turn back to Miss Giddings, and then we expect her to look back and that ghost to be gone, because that's the way it works, right? We see it, mm-hmm. we do the double take, and the ghost is gone, and the ghost isn't gone. And that's mm-hmm. like, I was like, you talk about horror tropes it's like that's almost like turning one on its head it's like yeah. wait a minute no you're supposed to not be there anymore and we're supposed to like go did i really see that yeah. it's like no she really sees it and that's the thing that kind of resonates throughout is that we are watching this movie through her lens mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and that becomes very evident by the end of the movie mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. That's interesting about that turning that trope on its head before it even really kind of was a trope. Right. Um, very interesting. Yeah. And I really agree about the like the daylight shots. There's some shots with the pond or the the pond where there's the silhouetted person just sort of like, you know, in the in the in the vegetation or whatever. <laughs> really, really chilling stuff. Yeah. 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 I and I, I think that like that that scene specifically is so effective because uh when like the audience is caught off guard by the like specter staying there for so long um it sort of puts you in her her shoes where it's like she really doesn't want to believe this is true but like it's there and uh it's like not going away anytime soon yeah right right it is she, she is literally haunted by it and there's so much um psychology caught up in like we, again, we're seeing the, the, the movie through her vision and there's so much repression, you know, like she's carrying around so much uh, repression, oppression, uh, both sexual and I think just patriarchal, you know, mm-hmm. like she is, she is a, a very much a creation of her environment. And so here she is in this new environment where things are so libertine you know, like these these children are able to just like say and do whatever they want. And she's just like, you know, it just keeps it keep watching her getting caught off guard. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I also think the, the movie, both in like theme and the way it's shot really lingers a lot. Like like you said, the moments of silence and it really lingers on the ghosts, uh, Miss Jessel and Peter Quint. Is that yep. right? Quint? Yep. Um. And so it really feels like you are, like time has slowed down, which is how I feel like she's perceiving her experience moving from a place like London to this like quaint little Bly Manor. Right. Um, and I think it's interesting that you bring up this like topic of oppression 
Um, because again, not to take it back to the 2020 remake again, but um, mm-hmm. in the miniseries, Miss um, Giddens is lesbian. And it's the 1980s in, or the 1970s in London or in the United Kingdom. So it's not a super common um, or, or a super, it's not something that people are super open about. Right. Um, and so that's like another layer that's added to that adaptation, which I think is really interesting and um, helps you understand um, Miss Giddens like, madness a little bit more not madness in the sense of like she's crazy for being gay but in the sense of like how people are perceiving her and how she has like then gone on to perceive herself so I like that they continued to play with those sort of themes in the miniseries have you seen Haunting of Fly Manor? I have not actually and I and I know that it's um from the same folks who did Haunting of Hill House yeah Mm -hmm. and and I always like I just always think of those two films uh The Innocence and The Haunting from 1963 they're just kind of like siblings in my mind because they're two just extraordinary black and white haunted house movies and uh and I just feel like like and I love that like Netflix decided to go you know we'll do one then we'll do the other it's like yeah because they you can't do one without the other yeah, yeah. The um, director, Mike Flanagan, um, he's done a ton of other really great stuff that I'm sure you've seen. And I, he, he is really good at taking on those kinds of stories that are slower, definitely more about character than about jump scares. And I think he's mm-hmm. really, really good at what he, what he does. Um, yeah. I, just, I just saw just this past week, I watched uh, Dr. Sleep. Oh, yeah. Oh, the yeah. remake. Um, or rather the uh, the sequel to yeah. to The Shining. And I thought he did it. I mean, that, that was kind of a magic trick what he pulled off there because he, he does a sequel and he does an adaptation of the novel. And when you think about Kubrick's version versus King's version, I know, version, it's, Shining, like... it's like, mm, <laughs> have that movie, but but he really does. Uh, and he, and he, he does it in a clever way, I think, you know, because it's basically a straight adaptation for the first two hours and then the last half hour is okay. Now we're going to do the sequel to Kubrick's *The Shining*. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I also read, and this is kind of a complete tangent, but I also read <laughs> that Flanagan did an adaptation of *Gerald's Game* by Stephen yes. King, which I really want to see because that sounds. I've heard I've heard really good things about it. <laughs> it's terrific. I mean, it. I. It's one of those where I went, "How are they going to do that?" Because yeah, you know, like the the, the basic plot is that you've got a woman handcuffed to a bed for the entire movie and you're like well how are you going to make that interesting at all (laughs) and uh but he manages to do it it's it's a really terrific adaptation yeah well we'll definitely have to watch that too um and if you want to go back earlier to flanagan stuff not to further extend your tangent but um if you've if you've seen uh, his first film absentia i haven't seen that one that one is terrific, and it's it's a great example of what somebody can do with a lot of imagination and not a lot of budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then his next kind of bigger movie was Oculus. Yeah. Oh yes, that's and that was kind of his like you know breakout into Hollywood. But he got that gig on the strength of Oculus, or sorry, on the strength of Absentia. So worth going back and checking out his roots because he was he was terrific from the get go. Yeah, we've seen Oculus and Hush and enjoyed both of them a lot. And obviously, Bly Manor, Haunting of Hill House are both great adaptations. 
back to the innocence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, wanted to mention, I think last thing we we were talking about was just uh, like how the editing of like uh, shots lingering and um, sound lingering. Um, I, I wanna say every single shot in the movie uh, fades into the next one. Mm. Uh, I feel like there's no like hard cuts, mm -hmm. which uh, definitely uh, adds to like the sort of like dreamy quality. Um, again, once again, putting you in in um, uh, the governess's head, own head, mm. own mind. Yeah, it is very dreamlike. That that's a good way to describe it. Um, and nightmarish towards the end. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, especially at the beginning, um, like you said, the the way the scenes fade into one another. Um, the I want to spend some time talking about the intro shot. Um, mm, yeah. I'm not sure if I have anything in particular to say about it, but I know Ethan, you said you really liked it. So yeah. I just like to hear kind of what you thought of it. I just, I thought it was a really interesting way to start the movie. We had, we've seen so many movies where the, the first 15, 20 minutes is people talking in a room about mm -hmm. what we need to know about everything. And the first like three minutes of this movie or the first, the opening credits is our main character in some kind of episode, like praying to herself in this very eerie and confusing way, it just brings up a lot of questions that I'm excited to find the answers to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you have anything to say, AC. I, and not, not necessarily about that opening. I think the opening is kind of terrific in that, you know, it does lay, lay it out for you. And then, you know, off you go. Uh, I was actually going to flip to the ending because I'm curious, again, we'll, we'll preserve spoilers for folks, but uh, like, how how that sat with you because i remember just thinking i was kind of blown away the first time i saw i was like what a daring you know what a daring move on so many levels both cinematically and narratively definitely yeah. i was i was definitely surprised by that decision um and yeah have to assume that like for its time especially it was very daring I keep thinking when I see that, like, what if the roles were reversed? And I feel like that would like could never happen in a mainstream film in that way, where mm -hmm. it's seen as almost tender, right. um, which is obviously like messed up in a lot of ways still. But it, that was my first thought. And then also, <laughs> I'm not sure if you've seen the movie Freaky starring Vince Vaughn. I haven't yet. It's okay. on my radar. No need. No need. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a moment in in freaky that reminds me of, of this moment and it made me think of that in a uh, bad way in a weird way um but yeah yeah that was all really all i could think about when it was happening was like oh my gosh if the the role was reversed this movie right. would be banned yep yep yeah. i mean and, and again and i think it was i mean it was daring for its time i think it's still the fact that it still manages to shock today is pretty, pretty impressive. And Martin Stevens, um, who plays um, Miles, he, he had a, a short but distinguished career as a child actor. He's also in uh, Village of the Damned. He's okay. the leader, leader of the possessed children, or not possessed, uh, they're alien children. Um, and he's, a, yeah, he's just, he's just a, an amazing presence in both of those films. And Pamela Franklin would actually go on to co-star in Legend of Hell House from 1973, which is one of my favorite, one of my other favorite haunted house movies. So she got she got a twofer. That's cool. Legend of Hell House. Yeah, Legend of Hell House with, has a Roddy McDowell 
of Fright Night fame mm. and uh, Planet of the Apes fame. And, uh, and Pamela Franklin's, they're both kind of mediums who are there to basically exercise a haunted house. That's cool. That's cool. Nice. 1973, you said? Yep. Okay, well, we'll get there. You'll get there and I'll, I'll tune in. Okay, yeah, we'll have you back. Okay. Um, yeah, and then I also, I thought it was interesting, the ending um, about how- you mean this ending? No, sorry, the um, the innocence. Oh, right, no, that this is from the innocence. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, you know, that it also, this movie was very atmospheric and how it ends on an atmospheric note instead of a let's wrap up the plot kind of note. Uh, mm -hmm. And I really, really like that too. It just, you know, leaves me feeling chilly. Yep, yeah. it's, it's terrific. And again, you, you, you know, that this ending, you're just like, what is happening? Yeah. And, and then it's, and then it's over and you're like, oh, oh dear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 It's funny you say what is happening because I feel like uh, some of the movies we watch, you get a what is happening feeling in a bad way, but this <laughs> what is happening in a good way, yeah. in like an effective way. Because I don't think, I mean, I personally like um, a film that ends kind of open-ended intentionally, not by accident. <laughs> right. um, and, and like Jaden said, like, I think this was a good version of that. Um, we've seen a lot of movies where they like try to wrap everything up and they do so in like one sweeping scene. Yeah, literally, where they sometimes one sweeping sentence. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like the ending of Psycho comes to mind. Right. Um, that ending, not my favorite for such a like well-loved movie. I think the ending really kind of knocks it down a peg by just how they treat the audience like we're idiots and we don't understand what's happening. Yep. I like the way that they left us to sit, to linger yeah. on the ending. Right. And I mean, I think with, with the end of the innocence, you, you do, you know, if you sit with it, you go, what happens next for her? Mm -hmm. Because it's not good. No. You know, yeah. like, like right. it, way, the way this plays out, you know, <laughs> the circumstances as they are, it's like, this can only end even worse. Yeah. 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 That's another thing I was thinking about through, cause I watch a lot of like true crime stuff. So mm. I'm always like, okay, there's no way that she would not be, spoiler alert, convicted of murdering that child. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, that's definitely something I think about. Um, AC, have you seen this movie called The Bad Seed? I have. This movie, you know, just, not just because of children or because of a main lady, but it also, this that movie also felt like a stage play. I think it also was a stage play. It was, yeah. Um, you're really seeing the the horror is like, uh, you're experiencing the horror through the emotions of the main character. Right, um, yeah, yeah. Which is cool. Yeah, uh, and, well, and, and The Bad Seed, have you already talked about The Bad Seed yes. on your show? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That ending, you talk about endings, like that yeah. is seriously one of my favorite endings in a movie of all time. Yeah. you like, what? <laughs> Did what God are... like strike down that little girl? Okay. Oh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Lightning, yeah. Yeah, that's oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because in, sure. in the stage play, she gets away with it. 
Oh, it just it just ends. She gets away with it, and that's that's it. <laughs> and like, and because of the Hayes Code, that where you couldn't have a murderer get away with it, they they had basically, you know, God striker. Like goes, nope, wrote a pen mark. You're out of here. That's awesome. That's it's funny that the producers would, would have had to been like, no, we have to kill the child. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah, one of the rare times we were like, no, no, that little girl must die. Yeah. <laughs> she can't live. Um, speaking of really good endings, have you seen Saint Maud? It came out in 2020, early 2020, late 2019. I have not. It's on my radar. You know, just not not enough hours in the night. Yeah, 100%. But um, it, it, it is on my radar. I'll, I'll make an effort now. Definitely, definitely mm-hmm. one of the best movies we've, I, I'm going to collectively say we've seen since yeah, we've been I, doing I this. I think it'd be safe to say this is uh, is not that scary's favorite horror movie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Definitely great. Recommend uh, it. I will. I will check it out post it. It's not from a foreign country by any chance. Is it? I think it's from the UK. Yeah, it's British. Okay. Yeah, it's cool. British one. <laughs> yeah, it's really excellent. Um, it's a debut director and she's 29. So that makes me yeah feel- yeah I, this is yeah this is all starting to like okay okay where did you where did you see it is it on uh it's on um epics okay yeah okay. which um you can get a seven day free trial for if oh fantastic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that that's a phenomenal movie also kind of similar in spirit um hey i see what you did there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, de- uh, definitely similar just in that it's sort of like a case study of one person's yeah. um, Experience. descent into yeah tragedy horror. Now, you having seen um, The Haunting of Bly Manor, uh, which I'm assuming kind of covers some of Miss Jessel and Peter Quint's relationship. Yeah. 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 Uh, because there is a, a prequel um, to The Innocents called The Nightcomers. Oh. And that basically is all about Mrs. Jessel and Peter Quinton's their their kind of like sadomasochistic relationship, and it is uh, Stephanie Beecham and Marlon Brando. Wow! Mm. And it's directed by Michael Winner, who um, became famous for directing Charles Bronson in a variety of movies, including the Death Wish movies. Mm-hmm. Oh! So it's a and he directed the the seventy seven film The Sentinel. Uh, so, but, but it's a, it's a really intriguing, I can't say it's entirely successful, uh-huh. but it's an interesting kind of like, uh, look at what the characters in Turn of the Screw, you know, are, are coming up against because you, you get a little bit more backstory with Flora and Miles that you're like, oh dear, no, they, <laughs> these were, these were not good children to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nightcomers, you said. Nightcomers, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm writing all this down. Don't you worry. It's in it's in the 60s. I can't remember the exact year. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. Cool. Yeah, that that they. I'm sure they drew from that for Fly Manor because they're. I mean, it's. I think it's eight or ten episode mm. miniseries, so they have yeah. a lot more time to explore like every avenue um, and every character. I think it's eight episodes. Yeah. So. So how do you actually, I, that, that brings up a good question. So how do you feel about kind of the expanded version? You know, like we, we live in this age of, you know, like it's kind of the golden age of television because we're able to have these kind of like, we're not just going to adapt a book and try and jam it into two hours or two and a half hours. You have the time to really explore and expand even upon what's on the page. 
And, you know, I'm kind of curious, like what your, what your feeling was about having seen the innocence versus this eight hour version. Um, I think the innocence captured every, like every beat from the story perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bly Manor just, like you said, expands upon it a little bit better. There are some paths that it takes you on that feel like pointless at times, mm. which I think you happens when you need to fill an eight episode series and um, Mike Flanagan needs to get his wife in the, the show <laughs> like he does with all of his movies. Um, so there's like, I, I definitely think The Innocence does a better job of adapting Turning of the Screw and telling that story where I think why Manor um, does a better job is giving you more of the character's backstory so you get a better backstory of um, Flora Miles' parents, their uncle, um, Miss Jessel and Peter, and then also, of course, Miss Giddens. So I can't remember if that they, they keep her name. Um, it doesn't really. Yeah, matter. I don't know, but um, the, the housekeeper. The housekeeper. You also get Hannah Gross's story a little bit more, which is really interesting. I think she was my favorite character in the Bly Manor show. Um, so yeah, it's just a you get a lot more with the characters. In general, though, we were um, watching TV recently and we saw something about the uh, Chucky Child's Play. And we thought it was a new movie and we were so excited, but then we saw it was a series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was kind of like, oh, no, um, really? Yeah, because that just feels like a cash grab at at that point. <laughs> but yeah. I think I think in some cases, if it's done well, then I think a drawn out series can be good for horror, but I think horror relies so much on suspense and keeping up pace yeah. that horror series often fall flat for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, like uh, you often bemoan the fact that, you know, the, the franchise continues on long past its sell-by date where you're like, no, 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 we, we don't want another Saw me- movie. We don't sure. want another Halloween movie. Yeah. You know, we don't want another Halloween. But then we keep showing up for it. So it's <laughs> yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We will be seeing Scream 5. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we'll be seeing Halloween Kills. And, yes. You know, yes. In theaters <laughs> even, maybe. We're just, we're just suckers. So, yeah. you know, we can only blame ourselves. It's true. All right. Do we want to move on to one cut of the dead? Yeah, sure. Well, first we have to. So the, um, the last (laughs) thing we like to do when we talk about movies, we have a little scale. Um, it's the horror or borer scale. Nice, catchy. Thank yeah. you. Clever. There's also there's also a secret third option, uh, snorer, and that's oh good, yes. It makes you fall asleep. Which or <laughs> I have a just really bad habit of falling asleep when I'm like even remotely horizontal. <laughs> so sometimes if I, even if I enjoy the movie, I fall asleep for a little bit of yeah. it. Um, An accidental snorer. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's a snorer by default. Yeah, it's more of no fault of the movie. Yeah, um, but this is this is a, uh, the innocence is certified horror for me, no yeah. question about it. I agree, horror all the way. It is it is truly one of my favorites, and I mean it it's I included it in horror one hundred and one because I feel like it is one that uh, it was influential, and I think that it also just kind of is a high water mark as far as haunted house movies go. Yeah, definitely. 
Definitely. Yeah. Horror. It was really great to actually see horror happen instead of hearing people talking about the horror that is <laughs> might be happening like we do in a lot of the other movies that we watch. Now, have you seen The Haunting yet? 1963? No. Mm -hmm. Okay. It, it's right around the corner and I'm, I'm really excited to hear what you make of it. Okay. Yeah. We'll cool. definitely put it on the list. I think there was another movie from 1963 that I'm, we now we're at the point where we're watching multiple movies from a year. Um, whereas before there were not as many to choose from that were like publicly available and not <laughs> lost. So right, um, right. We, this is our second 1961 movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll we watched, what did we watch last time? Wow, it already so forgettable that we forgot. Um, <laughs> we saw uh, Black okay. Sunday. In the pendulum. Oh, yeah. The pendulum. Oh, we, we're big Vincent Price fans. Wait, I'm sorry. What was the one you watched? The Pit and the Pendulum. Oh, oh, that's one of my favorites. I hope you didn't hate it. We no, we, we, we didn't we, hate it. We we, liked it. Uh, we we actually did like that one. We we love anything that Vincent Price has done. Yes, because the because the end. That's another one where the ending of Pit and the Pendulum just blew my poor little eight year old oh. mind. I was like what you yes to be trapped in there forever that yeah. was really cool and the zoom in actually startled me yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh but hey I, I i'm a big fan of the whole ai poe series with vincent price and uh that that was one that i definitely watched as a kid and was was definitely taken with so i'm glad i'm glad it went over well that's awesome yeah. and then black sunday man what a what a masterpiece that is <laughs> We, I'm not. Uh, didn't like it so much. That's okay. <laughs> there were definitely elements that we did like, uh, definitely. Um, but it, I mean, it, the the thing about that one is, it, it's a, it's a, again, it's a mixture of ghost story, vampire story, yeah. and and we're seeing Mario Bava, who will become very, very, very influential in the horror, the Italian horror genre. Uh, that's his debut film. And he would go on to basically invent the giallo, uh -huh. which is, you know, like what gave rise to Argento's career. And, uh, but anyway, so I think, I think I have a particular love for it because of all the things that came from it. Definitely. Um, but I also like the movie itself. I think like, like, again, the opening, the opening of the, the mask being hammered in yeah. place, I was just like, who has seen that before? Yeah, true. Yeah. Like, like I compare that to psycho shower scene. I'm like, what just you know like what transgression has just occurred here <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah for definitely sure. yeah, that, that opening scene is amazing um we, we we should note that um the version we saw was dubbed um and <laughs> the dub the dubbing was like so over the top that it often took you out of uh yeah. the suspense um so i think i think it might be it might warrant a rewatch re with subtitles at some point and that, that that is definitely true with a lot of italian horror is that you know like they have they have basically like two people that are dubbing the entire movie, yes. and so like I'm putting on my voice here, and then I'm putting on my voice, and it's like no, no, just <laughs> another person in there, please. Yeah, they even like dubbed over the gasps. Oh yeah, I remember that. Movie, which is just like so silly. Like I can I can understand Italians gasping. I don't need English. Gasps, gasps in Italian. Yeah. <laughs> Although I want to throw in one more thing. I know you, I mean, I'm sure you talked about Black Sunday, but, um, but like the little thing where the, the body manifests itself underneath the mask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those, those are like boiled eggs that are being pushed up. That's really cool. And so oh. like, like Baba, Baba, as you'll, as you'll learn, 
uh, Baba was like a real, he was really keen on everything that could happen in camera. Mm-hmm. So he was, he was a cinematographer first and his father was a sculptor. And so a lot of his stuff, he was like, how can I practically bring this on into the frame and not, not have to rely on, on some kind of trickery in post. You talking about yeah. these, these, there babies? we go. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Eggs. That's wild. <laughs> that is another wild. thing we liked about the movie were the practical effects. Um, yeah, Barbara, oh, there you go. Barbara Steele, like my gosh. Yeah, she was great. She was, she was great. She's got these mysterious wispy eyes that, yep, very intriguing. Awesome. I had the good, I had the good fortune to meet her when I was at the uh, Brussels International Fantastic Film Festival, and it was, it was just, uh, it was just kind of like you know being in the presence of somebody, you know, well, who worked with Vincent Price, you know? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's amazing. That's the really cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, wow. have we completely exhausted our time? Let's just say, hey, everybody, see you one cut of the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could spend like 10 minutes. Yeah, it won't be long. It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, th- I think especially you you really don't want to know much at all. Too much about this. That was basically my review was like, um, going cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. I was very lucky to have seen one cut of the dead going in completely cold. Um, and uh, yeah, just really, really exciting, really exciting stuff. Basic, basic. If you must know a very quick, very basic synopsis, I guess, not even a synopsis. Uh, you basically have a bunch of people who are making a zombie film, um, but some things are going wrong. Maybe there are real zombies. Some stuff is going awry. And then you start to see some kind of behind the scenes stuff. And it's, it becomes very, very uh, fun in a, in a way that a lot of horror movies don't. Yeah, it's definitely a horror comedy. It's a Japanese horror movie. Um, one fun fact from the Wikipedia page that I gathered was that this movie made 1,000 times its budget. Its oh. budget was like $25,000. <laughs> we were yeah. talking a little bit earlier about um, making a great movie with a very low budget. And I think this is a good example of that, um, both critically and uh, audiences, critics and audiences <laughs> alike yes. really enjoyed this movie. I did fall asleep, but <laughs> <laughs> that is that is in no way, <laughs> that, is, that is entirely my fault. Yeah. Um, we watched it earlier this afternoon like when the sun was setting and we didn't have any lights on in our apartment. So it was very dark. I was very horizontal. Had you seen it before? I no, he has. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I need, but I, I also knew cause I, they were watching it together like a year or two ago and I walked in right at the like moment where the turn happens. So I knew what was going on. Um, so I think it made me a little bit less, but I do, I do need to, rewatch it but that's all I will say about it because I have no <laughs> I can't really speak too much what I what I do love a lot about it is that when again I also went in cold and I was watching it with my friend John Kitley of Kitley's Crypt and both of us had heard buzz but we didn't know anything about it and we were watching and you know like 10-15 minutes in we're like eh you know it's another it's another zombie movie and and yeah, the one shot thing is good, I guess. <laughs> and we were like this close to turning it off. And then the credits started rolling at, you know, the 30, the 30 minute mark. And we're like, wait, I thought this was, 
wait, what? Yeah, yeah. And that's when, like you said, that's when the turn in, you're like, oh, this is what we're doing. And what's funny is like, when you watch that first 30 minutes, there are all of these kind of awkward moments and awkward pauses and things that don't make any sense. And when you, you know, when you've watched a few horror films as we have, especially foreign horror, you go, that's just how it is. And you yeah. just kind of like, you just switch that little, you know, lever in your head and be like, just go along with it. It's going to be fine. Um, it will explain itself or it won't explain itself or that's just how they are over there. You know, whatever excuse you need to keep going with the movie. And what was brilliant is that I think they are self-aware enough that they are putting these weird, awkward moments in there, knowing that you'll go along with it. But then we retrograde and we go, okay, we're gonna actually explain what each of those weird moments are. And it made me like rethink like every Japanese or Asian, Hong Kong, like whatever weird movie I saw where I'm like, well, maybe something weird was going on just outside mm -hmm. of the frame and we just mm -hmm. didn't know. Yeah, you know, that's why it's so wackadoo. It's because there was, you know, somebody missed their cue and somebody was having to improvise. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, it is, it is interesting. I, I also went in cold when I watched it the first time and you really do, there are those moments where like, uh, like a sequence is repeated or um, like the camera's on the ground for like 10 seconds and there's nothing going on. And uh, you do very easily be like, oh, well, it's a little weird, but I guess that's just sort of what's happening. And uh, so, so then it, it, it is very fun to learn the, uh, what, what's actually going on by the end of the movie. Right. Are you familiar with the play Noises Off? Yes. Oh, I love that play. So it's very much kind of that idea yeah. of like, you know, we're going to take you behind the scenes to see what, what's happening, you know, and then we come back around and be like, oh, that's why it played out the way it did. And uh, it's, yeah, I just, I just thought it was incredibly inventive and, and yet had such a, uh, a great heart. Like it had yeah. so much kind of like, it's a, it's a feel good movie in the best possible way. Yeah. Like watching Absolutely. them kind of overcome enormous obstacles, you know, impossible odds. <laughs> and I love it that the, the kind of the story of the film itself kind of mirrors that where it's like, you know, here's this, you know, micro budget movie and they, they, rent out a theater and they're going to just, you know, show it as long as it'll show. And it plays for like eight, 10, 12 months, you know, and, and makes all this money and gets wow. sale, sold overseas and becomes a festival hit. And you're like, how cool is that? Yeah. For real. It definitely, that was something that really struck me when I saw it is the heart, like really feels like people who just not only love horror movies, but love movies, love the act of teamwork, uh and it really comes through it really like fills you fills you with love by the end yeah yeah i mean it, i mean it, and it's a it's it's such a triumphant ending yeah like, that's so great yeah <laughs> for sure for sure and it's also kind of cool about how uh the movie itself you know goes back and uh you kind of re re-envision the movie from the start but then that happens again if you watch it again for the second time yeah, so it's almost right, like right. uh, a few different ways in which the movie reinvents itself which is really really cool yeah that's this was the second time i had seen it and so i was watching it again knowing what i was watching and just going i can't wait to watch the explanation yeah again. Yeah, yeah. yeah for that sure experience too for yeah sure. the, the whole second half of the movie you just have a smile on your face 
Nope. Yeah. Agreed. Most definitely. Agreed. Most definitely. Unless you're Margot, in which case you're passed out. <laughs> yeah. I saw the first 30 minutes and like the last 15 minutes. <laughs> That's the best part. There you go. There you That's go. often what happens is I fall asleep in the middle of movies. <laughs> so I always catch the end. What do you? It's just like the bread in the sandwich. She doesn't actually yeah, want. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. Um, AC, what do you think of the the act two of the movie where it is almost an entirely different uh, film? Hmm. Um, right, for right. me, for me, that part of the movie I really enjoy. I'll enjoy the whole thing, but for me, that part of the movie really slows down almost to a a point where I'm like, sort of like, can we get back to what we were doing before? Yep, yep, yep. I mean. And the thing is, like, you kind of need all of that set up. Yeah. And they do try and keep it, you know, they keep, they try and keep the ball in the air for sure. But yeah, certainly it does not have the same energy. And in some ways, I, I do kind of like the fact that we have three different movies going on. Mm-hmm. You know, we have three different movies. It's almost like an anthology <laughs> of like, we're going to watch this movie and then we're going to watch the same movie, but this movie, and then we're going to watch the movie again, but with this movie, yeah. you know, so it's, we're, we're seeing the same story almost told three different ways. And that's, that's kind of exciting, but it, yeah, I, I agree. Like there's there by necessity, there's a different pace. There's a different tone um, because we're kind of laying it all out so that we can go bananas in the third act. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, watching this movie the second time, uh, reminded or not reminded me but had me thinking about parasite um because i think parasite oh sure similar to this movie in that it really feels like two different movies Mm -hmm. um, where but in parasite you have the comedy first and then the horror second um and i think that movie really benefits from that order um just from like like both movies subvert your expectations um but i think the the horror hits harder in parasite um just because you're you're primed first with the comedy, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, have you seen uh, The Host? No. That this is, uh, the, the, the guy who directed Parasite, it was one of his kind of like breakout movies in South Korea. And it's kind of a monster movie, but it's also this great kind of like family comedy drama because it's this, you know, like this dysfunctional family that also is dealing with this monster that's, you know, running around Hmm. uh but i really i really recommend the host because it's kind of uh it's it's like a joyful cloverfield okay all right (laughs) it's not found footage though is it it is not oh okay but you 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 have a monster running around the loose that looks like no other monster you've seen before okay cool cool (laughs) cool something i think about a lot um and if i were to write a horror movie I think this would be my angle um and this movie kind of reminded me of that is so much about what you hear especially movies that were made in like the 70s and 80s so much about what you hear about the experience of being on those sets sounds like a horror film right of themselves right um, like Texas Chainsaw yes. Black House on the Left like yes. just horrible working environments and so that's sort of the angle I thought this was taking at first um with, with like an abusive director yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so sure, sure. About, um, and that's what I, I would write my, my horror movie about would be uh, a final girl killing her director, I think is <laughs> my nice. short pitch. Get on it. <laughs> that needs to happen. I want to see that movie. For sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that 
we don't want to take up too much more of your of your time. Um, I think that really covers all that we need to cover about this movie without diving too much into. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, I, yeah, it's it's and I and I, I'm, I mean, as, as you pointed out, Ethan, like it, I think it's better just to not talk a lot about it. You know, sure. it's like, you know, it's it's a it's an experience, and just I. The reason why I was uh, when you when you asked you know like what's a, a current one I'm like I would love everybody to see this movie just because I feel like it is kind of a joy and it brings you know the the more you love horror movies the more you're going to appreciate it but you don't necessarily have to be a horror fan in order to appreciate it so I think it's it really uh, satisfies on all levels. Yeah, and it's not scary, which um, I don't know <laughs> how many listeners we have who are anti-horror horror movie like who are afraid of, of horror movies yeah. what are you doing listening to this podcast <laughs> i will but say though there's oh. that part where they're doing the scene and there's that loud noise and they all look over uh <laughs> that that part had me clenched i will say yeah. had me clenched first time i saw it there, there are a couple um, sequences that are that are uh i don't suspenseful. know if scary scary is the right word but yeah. um yeah suspenseful suspenseful yeah enjoyable um and and, I, and if i can just say i i really i i really love what you are doing as younger horror fans um by by really taking the time to go back and kind of revisit um the the beginnings uh that's it's not something i hear enough about and so i'm really excited to kind of follow your journey um i i wasn't aware of, of the site until grant clued me in and now I'm like where has this been all my life oh come on <laughs> because because uh you know like that was what I wanted to do I wanted to be able to you know keep people yes look forward I think we all get caught up in the new and the the shiny object but I think kind of understanding the context and and the genre is filled with reactions to and derivations of what went before yeah and so, you know, like, I think what you're doing is just kind of going to just enrich your viewing experience moving forward. And, you know, you can't, you can't step in the same river twice. So, you know, when you watch a movie, you're going to watch it again, you know, 10 years from now and, and have a completely different experience. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I definitely think it's already, I mean, we've been doing this for about a year now and it's already had such an impact on the way that at least I like um, consume other horror uh, I know what like Cronenbergian means now, right? <laughs> yeah. and I understand like why practical effects are often favored to special effects, uh, stuff like that that I, I didn't really acknowledge when I would watch movies in the past. And now having some of those like reference points and that context really helps me enjoy a genre that I already enjoyed a lot. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean I think that's just it. Like the more you watch, the more your appreciation deepens and kind of the more your palate expands. I, I mean, I we talked briefly about kind of like those movies that are so bad, they're good. And I, I as a younger horror fan, I did not have time for that. Like, like 80s, like the schlocky 80s horror. I was like, I hate this. <laughs> like the acting's terrible and the effects are horrible and blah, blah, blah. And now like, it's so pleasant you know like I, I enjoy that so much yeah but, you know it's just like I had to go on that journey I had to see all the you know respectable ones first uh -huh, uh -huh. and then go back and be like you know what it's okay to have a good time too that's actually something I've I've learned pretty recently 
uh, and it's allowed me to enjoy early 2000s horror, for example. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just wanted to say, like, we really appreciate that, AC, what you're saying. And I, I also want to say we really appreciate your perspective on what you've been saying, especially about how these movies are in conversation with each other. I mean, just thinking about, like, the, what you were talking about with The Werewolf of London was very eye-opening. Um, and so it's been great to have you on. Thank you. Well, I, I, I again, I'll be watching from afar. And uh, I certainly hope you'll have me back again because this was just a hoot. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> we would love yeah. to. Yeah. And uh, listeners, be sure to check out Scarathon. Yes. Uh, AC, can you say again where they can find more information? Yes, you can go to Horror 101 with Dr. AC. Uh, blog's been around for, I think, 12 years now. Um, and also, uh, I'm a co host on, uh, at least during the month of October, with Kicking the Seat. And that is uh, run by Ian Simmons. And we're doing a different Friday night feature uh, live on YouTube, 7.30 Central Standard Time. Uh, I think this, uh, this next week, we're going to be covering The Gorgon from Hammer Studios. Nice. And at the end of the month, we're going to be doing Cronenberg's The Fly. Oh, Ooh, nice. Cool. So, you know, listeners, anybody else, tune in. Let's hear what you have to say. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Awesome. Well... Ethan? Oh, yeah. So usually with the way we end this is... Uh, I was I like, I don't know what the tradition is. So. It's okay. We're going to have you do it. Uh, I usually, I say boo and then they go, ah! So can you uh, please uh, just say boo for us and we'll go, ah! I will. Thank you. Ready? Whenever you're ready. Whenever you're ready.